Week two, uh, Salt and Light, this is a series uh, that we're in, and the, the thesis of this series, the crux of it, uh, what God has laid on my heart uh, for us to talk about and for me to share with you is really to encourage you and equip you to bring people to Jesus. To encourage and equip you to bring people to Jesus. It's that simple, friends. It really is. It's that, that's that simple. That's, that's what this is all about. And so our, our anchor verse that we're using in this series is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, salty. Turn to your other one, hey, salty. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. I don't know what happened to my voice there. I'll try it again. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And so we're talking about being salt and being light. So what makes salt salt and what makes light light? Well, at least with salt, I know that it's the chemical compounds that are in it that make it salt. And light, it's the neurons, it's the photo neurons, neutrons, whatever they are. I was a theology major, not a science major. But it's, those, it's that essence of light, it's the essence of salt that makes it salt and makes it light. That's what it is. It's not like salt tries to be salt and light tries to be light. It just is because it is. Because it's salt, it's salty. Because it's light, it's light. And so it is as we abide in Christ, as, we, as, we, as he lives in us and we live in him, it's the essence of who we are to be salt and be light. And, and being salt and being light uh, glorifies our Father in heaven and draws people to him. And so that's what we're talking about is about bringing people to Jesus. Just simply bringing people to Jesus. Um, two weeks ago, just to kind of recap a little bit of what I talked about two weeks ago, is that we talked about sharing the gospel sharing the gospel with others. But one of the issues we have, one of the difficulties that we have with sharing the gospel is that we think of the gospel as a what or a how, when actually the gospel is a who. The gospel is Jesus. He is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And so if we're careful, what we'll actually be trying to do is convert people to Christianity, not introducing them to Jesus. And we talked a few weeks ago about the great difference in between those two things. And, and in fact, I, I, I used an example of a paradigm shift. And if what I'm saying kind of doesn't make much sense, well, listen to the sermon two weeks ago, and I, I think it'll be much more clear. But I took a whiteboard, and in this whiteboard, I, I drew a big circle, which represented church, and I put dots in the circle, and then I put little dots all around the circle, and the dots in the circle represent like, like you and I in the church because the circle's in the church and all the dots is everybody else out there that's not in church. And if we're, if we're not careful, the paradigm that we can live with is that our energy, our focus, our prayer, everything it is, it's trying to get people outside of the dot into inside the dot. And, and what, I, what I presented, what I submitted to you is what if we had a different paradigm shift? 
What if we took a clean piece of paper, and in the middle, instead of putting the church, what if we put Jesus as this big dot, and we put all these dots around Jesus, but differing degrees away from him? And I talked about what it would be like, instead of trying to get people in church, what if we simply tried to get people to Jesus? What if we simply tried to get those that aren't as close to Jesus as we are to help bring them to Jesus and help bring Jesus to them? Now, I'm not deconstructing Christianity. I'm not saying that there's not, there is a kingdom of light, there is a kingdom of darkness. You enter it from one, you go into the other. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just saying, what if our paradigm, the way we've been thinking, maybe that's, maybe that's not accurate. Maybe that's not the, always the way to think about it. And, and I'm just going to be real honest and transparent uh, with you this morning. There's just some things in my mind that I'm really just wrestling with and grappling with and trying to just really figure out and solve um, as I attempt in my life to simply lead more people to Jesus and to bring Jesus to more people. And, and what I'm finding is that there's barriers, that I'm experiencing barriers to these things. And, and because we're not living in the 1960s, the 70s, we're not living in the 1980s. I mean, we're moving into 2018. And the world is different today than it was 20 or 30 years ago. And I'm trying to really not just do things the way I've always done them just because that's the way they've always been done, but to really think about how I'm living my life, to really think about the words that I'm using, to really think about the concepts that I'm trying to convey. And so I'll just throw a few of them out there for you. What about the word Christian, right? Like if we use the word Christian, like for the most part, like we all understand what we would mean by that. We'd simply mean we're trying to follow Jesus, right? We believe in him. We're trying to follow him. But the reality is, is that if you ask just random people out on the street, what, what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? Or what do you think of when you hear Christianity? How many know there'd be a whole varying gamut of, of responses, wouldn't there? And a lot of them wouldn't be real positive, Right? I mean, even there's, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the media trying to try Christ, trying to tie Christians to thing that's not Christian at all. And, and, and so just to tell somebody, hey, I'm a Christian, what you're telling them may not be very helpful to them because of the paradigm of understanding of how they would define Christianity. Is this making sense? And so, and, and so I read a survey of a, of a man who was a, a social scientist, and he was in a Boulder, Colorado. I don't know if you've been to Boulder. I've been there many times. I love the city. Uh, let me just say it's a little different than Springfield. And uh, he was on Pearl Street, and it's full of coffee shops, art galleries. Uh, it's, uh, let's say it's pretty modern. And, uh, and uh, so he was just asking people. He interviewed 50 people and asked them what they thought about Christianity. And Christians, and he got 50 negative answers. In fact, many of them included expletives. And they began to describe judgment, judgmental, and all these things that you and I would hear, we'd like, oh no, no, that's not really who we are, that's not us. But that's what these 50 people thought of when they heard the word Christian or Christianity. But then the interesting thing is the next question that he asked each 50 people is, what do you think about Jesus? And there were 50 positive answers. 50 positive answers. It makes you just stop and just pause, doesn't it? What about church, right? So often, don't we, I mean, we attribute church to a building. 
And I mean, this morning, before first service, I'm visiting with one of the families in our church. We, we, we're visiting in the parking lot. There's little kids there. And, and, and I hear word, I heard myself say these words, hey, it's cold in, out here. Let's go in the church so we can visit, right? Which again ties a church to a facility, to a building, which isn't, isn't really the reality. A church is an expression of the people of God. It's the called out ones. And even when you use the word church, right, as so many people have so many even negative connotations about church, right? I mean, who's ever heard, I love Jesus, it's his people I can't stand, right? You've heard that one, right? Maybe you said that one, right? Especially in a city like Springfield where there's so much religious systems that so many people have felt like they've, felt like they've been chewed up and spit out by the religious systems, by church, in our city, that if you talk about church to somebody, there can be a huge disconnect. They could say, yeah, I've been there and I've done that. And it didn't work. And so if our whole goal is just get people into church, there's some people that that's not going to be their first step. But I mean, we don't have to get them into church to introduce them to Jesus. We don't have to get them into church to, to, to lead them to Jesus, to introduce them to Jesus. And so uh, there's just these things that I'm, I mean, even words that we use, words like like born again, right? Asking Jesus into our heart. Like we say those things, we understand what they mean, but, but if we don't have a context, would we? Would we really understand that? And so really, I'm just wanting us to really think about, about what we say, how we, how we live our life as we're bringing people to Jesus. I mean, even think about the word, word Bible. Like, I mean, we believe it's the inerrant word of God. It is, it's, it's the literal word of God. It's his word to us. Right? Like we wouldn't, that's something like we wouldn't like give up. Right? But then we don't read it. You know what I'm saying? See the disconnect? Like we believe it's really God's word, but it sits on the coffee table. We're not putting it in our heart. And so it just, these are just things I'm, 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 I'm not, trust me, I'm not trying to deconstruct Christianity or church. I've given my life to this. I'm just saying, I just don't want to do things the way we've always done them because that's the way we've always done them. You know what I'm saying? Like even the word missionary, right? Missionary is not in the Bible. Apostle is, right? The sent ones. But sometimes we can just make, try to make ourselves better because we can give money to somebody who's willing to do what we can't or won't. And so we feel better about ourselves, right? But it's all of our jobs to be leading people to Jesus, not just missionaries' jobs. And then, okay, I'll pick on another one. How about evangelism? You guys, are you even saved, Pastor? What's going on with you? No, I'm saying, what about the word evangelism? Well, the, to me, the issue with evangelism is it has to do like something's being done to somebody. You're evangelizing them. You're doing something to somebody. Who here likes something to be done to you? Do you like being somebody's project? Of course not. Well, then why would we do that to somebody else? Why, why would we do that? I'm just wondering, okay, I have a lot more questions and answers this morning, but I'm just wondering, have we made it a whole lot more complicated than it really is? Is it just, have we just made evangelism, have we just made sharing, have we just made the whole thing more complicated than it really has to be? Maybe it's simply just leading people to Jesus, letting him kind of take it from there. You know what I'm saying? We don't have to have everything figured out. We just bring people to Jesus and bring Jesus to people. You know, six, six, maybe six weeks ago, a gentleman in, gave his life to the Lord in our service. And immediately, he was after, after service, he was in our growth track. And 
And I know this is this story's fine. He won't he won't care I tell this story. And and he was in the growth track and 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 our growth track is is the way we help people um get be a part of the the body of Christ here at Grace to really get f- in the flow of who we are and what we're doing and how you can be a part of that and he just given his life to Christ and man he was he wanted in on this whatever this was he wanted in on it and so he's at the growth track right after service just like what we're going to have today and and so we were about there were about 6 or 7 of us in there and I was opening it up uh, giving the orientation and 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 he he shared with everybody he had just given his life to Christ he had just made a, a commitment of faith to the Lord everybody was happy everybody's excited i mean it was it was awesome just a great celebration and so we're meeting and then for a few minutes i introduce everything and then and i had i had to leave and so i was walking out and he said hey pastor i said yeah he goes by the way i don't believe in the devil that's as quiet as it was in that room too Everybody was like, all their eyes, everybody just looked right at me and just, it was like a vacuum, right? Like, just sucked all the air out of the room. Like, what are you going to do, pastor? And I'm a professionally trained theologian, right? So my mind's whirling. I'm thinking of all these things I can say and proof I have. And boy, the Holy Spirit just whispered to me, goes, don't you dare like, don't you even dare f- go for that. Don't you even dare fall for that. Don't even go near that. And I said, really? I said, you don't believe in the devil? He said, no. I said, ah, oh, it's all right. You will at some point. <laughs> I said, do you believe in Jesus? Absolutely. Did you just put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Yes, are you trusting him to forgive you of your sins? And, and I know, and theologians, you're thinking, well, can their sins really be forgiven if you don't believe that there's, that there's a devil? That there, and I, you see, the devil's not the opposite of God. You see, that's dualism. Satan is a fallen angel that rebelled against God. They're not equal opposites, okay? That is wrong thinking. And, and, and so he goes, yeah, I believe in, I believe in, I've given my life to him. I'm, I'm his now. He's mine. It's like, Great. Awesome. Welcome to the family. I'm going to eat lunch. See you later. I walk out. Because what's not important is whether he believes in the devil or not. What's important is his faith in Jesus Christ. And that moment he met Christ. And Jesus, he'll figure out, devil, it'll be all right. He'll figure all that out, right? And in the last eight weeks, I've just seen the Lord work in his life in such a real and awesome way. That's what I'm saying. It's a whole lot more messy than we've ever said. It's a whole lot more messy than, than it can often be portrayed. And we feel like we have to have everything right or know everything right before we can really introduce people to Jesus. And I'm just saying, that's, I don't think so. I think it's really as easy as simply Jesus, friend, friend, Jesus. Just introducing people to Jesus. So I want to look at somebody in the, in the Bible this morning that every time he's listed, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. That's Andrew. You know, it's interesting. The disciple Andrew is a disciple that everybody's heard about, but we hardly know anything about him. And he's a fascinating disciple. There's not a lot in scripture about him. About five times, three out of the five, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Um, one of the things I like about Andrew is I like his name. It was a Greek name and his name means Manly, right? You just got to say that a little bit lower. Manly. It means brave. He was a man's man. He was a fisherman, right? I'm, I, mean, I can just see him as this big, burly, just man's man. And I tell you, media, 
culture has tried to emasculate us Christian men. And that we're, that we're wimps and we're weenies and we just, we're bleh, you know. There's nothing to us. And that's so ridiculous that as a man's man, we can be a man's man and lead people to Jesus. That it's, that, and I love that about Andrew. And, and Andrew, we see him, he, we know he's one of the ones that were, that were close to Jesus because he, it often it's listed Simon or Peter, who's, who's, Jesus changed his name. So Peter, Andrew, James, and John, those four are often listed together. In fact, Peter probably is his older brother. We know they're brothers. Peter's probably his older brother. Peter's usually mentioned first. Peter was the big personality. He was the preacher. He was the one on the stage. He was the one that was, you know, making the scenes, walking on the water, preaching Pentecost. But Peter, we're going to read about in a little bit, Peter wouldn't have been that person without Andrew because Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And so you may not be a Peter, you may not be one that would preach loud, you may not be one that would be vocal, but you can lead Peters to Jesus. It's real interesting about about Andrew because he's one of the few that actually obeyed Jesus on the Great Commission. Jesus, he died on the cross, he was buried, he was resurrected, and then he ascended to the Father. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit, and when he comes you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then go do it. But most of them didn't. Most of them just stuck in Jerusalem. Andrew was different. Andrew went. In fact, church tradition tells us that Andrew went actually probably all the way to modern-day Ukraine, telling people about Jesus, introducing people to Jesus. And, and he, it is well documented that he lived most of his time in Greece, in fact, he was crucified in Greece, is what church tradition tells us. And, and he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus was. And so he was crucified on a cross that was an X. And it's called Andrew's Cross. And uh, in fact, you know, Scotland has a, has an, has an, a draw and affinity. They celebrate a St. Andrew. And even on the Scottish flag, you'll see a cross. That's St. Andrew's cross, which interestingly enough, as I was studying Andrew, that the, the, like November 30th, like in like a week, there's like a, a Catholic holiday, uh, a feast celebrating Andrew and the testimony he had um, to the church. And, and, and this is another interesting fact, and I know I'm bogging you guys down in church history, but I find it fascinating. So, um, so it's Andrew went east, Peter, his brother, went to Rome. He was in the Western church. So church tradition tells us that the founders, so to speak, or the fathers of the Eastern Orthodox would have been Andrew and Western Roman Catholicism would have been Peter. And so these two brothers are actually like the fathers of that, of the early church, you know, 300 AD. And that fa- I knew you would find that fascinating. Now back to Jesus. You see, that's what happens, right? We try to start talking about Jesus, and then we spend all of our time talking about things that aren't Jesus. But we got to get on Jesus. So let's look at Andrew, okay? Open up your Bibles to John, uh, book of John, uh, chapter 1. John chapter 1. See, we see, we see Andrew bring three types of people, three kinds of people to Jesus. The first kind, the first group, are people that are close to him. It's his brother. First uh, John chapter 135 says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. He's declaring Jesus is coming. He's making way for the, for the Lamb of God. And he says, And when he saw Jesus pass by, he said, There he is. Look, it's the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. 
And so that's, that's what started, is that, is that Andrew started following Jesus himself. And so they heard him say, follow Jesus, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What's going on, guys? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said, come and see. And I talked about that two weeks ago. He was like, come follow me and you will see. So they did. They followed him. They went and they saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. So probably what they did is they hung out with him all night. They um, ate dinner together. They just visited in the hospitality in that culture of the day. They said, where are you staying? They probably stayed in whatever house he was staying in. They communed, they fellowshiped with Jesus. Well, verse 40, Andrew, who we're talking about, Simon Peter's brother was one of the two that is in this story. We heard John say who had followed Jesus. The first thing, say first thing, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. The very first thing. He brought the one who was closest to him to Jesus. And so when I read this story, it causes me to ask questions about my own life. And so I'll ask you the same questions, because they made me uncomfortable. So if I'm going to be uncomfortable, why shouldn't you join me, right? Right? So they begin questions like, Do I know all of my neighbors' names? Do I know their kids' names? The person that works across the aisle from you, the person that works down the hall, do you know their name? You know their story? You know their kids' names? Person in your dorms? What about those that are closest to us? We could be praying for Africa. We could be giving money for Asia. We could be going cross town and minister at Weller. But what about those that are closest to us? Are we leading them to Jesus? Are we introducing them to Jesus? Think about it. Think about those that are, are there any, is there anybody close to you in physical proximity or in relationship that doesn't know Jesus yet? If so, questions why? Why? Are we, are we those that will lead those closest to us to simply introduce them to Jesus? You know, I have two goals in my life right now. They are. These are the two goals. The two goals are, number one, to be nice and to talk about Jesus. You think I'm joking, don't you? I'm not. Be nice and talk about Jesus. Because you see, if I'm just nice and I don't talk about Jesus, I'm just a nice guy. But if I talk about Jesus and I'm not nice... Oh, you've met some of them, haven't you? Yeah. It doesn't do any good, does it? But what if we were nice and we simply talked about Jesus? I'm not talking about being Jesus freak. I'm not talking about cramming down people's throats. I'm just saying we glorify him, we honor him, we just give him credit where credit's due in our life. We just say what he's done for us, what he's doing for us, what's happened in our life. I know a our guitar player here, Gunner, sorry I'm putting you on the spot, Gunner, but he was in a, he was in a, he was in a car wreck this week, right? He, he, uh, he, uh, he rammed, he had another car, totaled it. I mean, it's a grace of God that he's here this morning playing instead of us doing a funeral. I mean, that's a, it's a perfect opportunity to simply say, man, Jesus saved me from dying. I should be dead, but Jesus saved my life. You know what I'm saying? Just, just simple things that, that, that his parents can say, yeah, God, Jesus saved our son's life. He should, be, he should be dead, but he's not. We're so thankful for that. And so I just want to challenge you this morning. Be nice and talk about Jesus and just see what happens, right? 
Just salt and light. Just salt and light. Okay, let's move on to the next group. The second group of people are bringing the overlooked ones to Jesus. I believe there's people in our life that are overlooked, that are marginalized, that others don't see. And my prayer is that Jesus would give us eyes to see those that others simply aren't seeing. This story occurs in John chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And I mean, they were like, wow. So they're following Jesus, and then Jesus goes up on a mountainside and sits down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover festival is near, so it was spring. And so he looks, Jesus looks and sees a great crowd coming towards him. He sees this, and, and he... he I'm just so thankful that Jesus cares about the practical needs of our life. Is anybody else thankful for that? I know I am. And the practical need of that moment was that these folks needed to eat. There's 5,000 men plus women and children. So there's just, there's thousands, multiple thousands and thousands of people here. And so he sees this and he says to Philip, he says, we're going to buy some bread for these people to eat. And I love the fact he puts Philip on the spot he already knows the answer. The text tells us that. And, and I'm like, Philip, I feel your pain. Because sometimes I feel Jesus, he does that to me too. He asked me, what are we going to do about this? And I'm like, I hope you have a plan, Jesus, because I sure don't, right? I'm the only one. Okay, moving right along. So he looked, he saw this great comment. Where are we going to buy this bread to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than a half of year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. However, there was another disciple by the name of Andrew. And this other disciple saw a kid. Everybody else overlooked this kid, but he saw this kid. And this kid had some pita bread and a couple of cans of tuna. (laughs) All right. Or something similar, right? And some tuna fish, basically tuna fish sandwiches. But Andrew saw that. This kid, his mom, this kid's mom had packed him a lunch and, and he saw that. And it just, I tell you, it just made me think about nobody else saw this kid. And it says here, verse 8, another disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? In this culture, in this day, we know that kids were supposed to be seen and not heard and preferably not even seen. That we know that even when the, the, Jesus, or the kids tried to come up to Jesus, right, the disciples tried to shoo them away that they didn't hold the value that, that adults held. I mean, even the text tells us they only counted the men. There are 5,000 men, women and children. Well, they don't really count. There's just a bunch of them. All right? I mean, that just, that just shows you just the cultural perspective of the day. And nobody else saw this kid. Nobody else. It was just overlooked, even physically overlooked. But Andrew saw somebody, saw something different than anybody else did. As I've just pondered on this text, my, my prayer has just been, Jesus, help me to be like Andrew. Help me to see people that nobody else is seeing. Help me to see marginalized 
in such a way that they truly have value. And help me see people nobody else is seeing. Just do an inventory of your life. I just wonder who's in your life that nobody else is seeing. Who's not one of the cool kids? Who's kind of on the outs? Who's uh, just kind of flying under the radar? I'm telling you, you can lead them to Jesus. They want to meet Jesus, and they have something to offer Him. Nobody else may think they have anything to offer, but Jesus knows they have something to offer. And if we will have eyes like Jesus, then we'll be able to lead people that others overlook because Jesus has a heart for them. And I love what Jesus did. He, he got it. I mean, he's a... He's an organized guy. He said everybody sits in, sit in groups so there wasn't a rush on the food and it was easy to, to distribute. So as them sits in group and he multiplies, he starts multiplying the bread and the sardines. He just starts multiplying them and it feeds everybody. In fact, it says there's 12 baskets left over. Probably one for each of the disciples. So they, they didn't get to eat yet. They've been working all day, right? They get to eat some bread. And there's, there's something I just noticed reading this text that doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but... Hey, it's Bible, it's good stuff. So I noticed the generosity and the frugality of Jesus. That Jesus provided more than enough, but yet he still didn't waste anything. Does that make sense? It just kind of gives you a glimpse into his economy. He's a generous God, but yet it's not wasteful. I mean, you can even look at at nature and, and, and see that. So let's look at the third group of people. First group are those that are close to us. The second are those that are overlooked. And the third is those that seem to be far from God, that we would bring them to Jesus. This story of Andrew is found in John chapter 12. This was uh, the, the setting for this is the last week of, of Christ's earthly life before he goes to the cross. He's been anointed with oil. Uh, he's just come in the triumphal entry. Uh, Palm, what we call Palm Sunday. This has just occurred. This is right before uh, his crucifixion. They're celebrating the Passover, verse 20. And it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And they came to Philip, who is from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. I know this is just a couple of verses, but friends, there's so much truth and so, so much practicality in this, these few verses. You see, Greeks would have been those that were culturally very far from God. They were Gentiles. Jewish people were Jewish. Duh, right? So, I mean, they, had, they followed the Jewish customs, the law, the rituals, the festivals, the feast. The Gentiles, they were on the outs. These may have actually lived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, on the eastern side, where current Jordan and Syria are. There were, there were Gentile villages there uh, because of Alexander the Great's influences. Uh, influence Greeks had been relocated or around the earth. And, and so for some reason, well, they're, they're far from God, but for some reason they felt safe coming to Philip and then Philip Andrew. That... They didn't look like, they wouldn't have looked like the Jewish people. They wouldn't have dressed like the Jewish people. They wouldn't have talked like the Jewish people. They wouldn't have consumed the same foods, same beverages. Their lifestyle would have been different. And, and honestly, in our culture today, I think religious, religious Christianity, can, when you read the Gospels, you can, almost, 
can almost take out the, the Pharisees and the Jewish aspects of the story and impose just kind of religious Christianity in that, and there's some pretty good parallels and applications. And, and, and so they're far from what would be considered being close to God. But there was something in Philip and Andrew that caused them to feel safe enough to approach them. And I wonder what it was. Well, we know they had Greek names. Philip and Andrew are both Greek names. Um, so maybe that had something to do with it. It's interesting that, that Simon Peter and Andrew's parents, their oldest child had a Jewish name, and their younger child had a Greek name, that was, and that was starting to be more common um, in that day because of the Greek influence. But it shows me that they were raising their children in such a way to be open to other cultures, to be, to be open uh, with other cultures, with other languages, with other people. That they were raising their kids in such a way to not be closed but to be opened simply by the names they gave their children. And, and so there was something in their life that when they're looking for Jesus, they understand that, that Philip and Andrew are safe people to come up to and say, you know, we'd like to see Jesus. We'd like to meet Jesus. We know that Jesus is over there. We know Jesus is in this religious system. We know we don't match that. We don't fit that. That's not us. But there's still in us a desire to meet Jesus. Friends, I believe you're in your neighborhood, in your school, work, wherever you might be, that there's people that don't look like they're close to God. They don't dress like they're close to God. They don't act their speech, their, their customs. They don't look like they're close to God. But friend, they could be a whole lot closer to meeting God than you would ever, ever think. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the heart. And are you and I the kind of people that when they see us, they see somebody that's safe enough to lead them to Jesus. Do they see that? Or what, do, what do they see when they see us? Do they see somebody trying to follow Jesus? Or do they see a Republican? Or do they see a Democrat? Or do they see a business person? Or do they see a teacher? What identifies us? Who do they see us as? My prayer is the distinguishing features in my life would be one who is following Jesus. And I would be a safe enough person that those that don't seem like they're close to God, who actually have a desire to meet Jesus, yet don't fit in, would seem by all circumstantial evidence that they're far from God. They're saying, I want to meet Jesus. And friends, I want to be the kind of person that they'll come to and say, will you introduce me to Jesus? I've heard about him. I've seen him in your life. I've seen what Jesus has done for you. I want to meet him. Guys, I think it might be that simple. I think it might be that simple. It's so interesting, Jesus' response, verse 23. I didn't get to this first service. You guys are getting bonus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You see, the Gentiles were coming to him. And he came for everybody, those that were in and those that were out. And he said, the time is now. The Gentiles are coming. I, I get it. It's time. It's time for me to be, to, to be glorified. It's time, it's time for this to happen because the whole world needed to receive Jesus. Because that's what it's all about. One of the things I like to do when I'm preparing my teachings is I like to chew sunflower seeds. I like ranch, I like barbecue, I like kettle, I like black pepper, I like Old Bay seasoning, I like original. 
Did I miss any? I like them all. And I do. I just, I'll just choose sunflower seeds while I'm working, and, and I, I'll just like it. And last night I was working on, I was working on this teaching, and, and I was chewing sunflower seeds, and I mean, I got thirsty. Like, you know, when you're, when you're chewing seeds, like, you get thirsty, thirsty, don't you? And I'm like, oh, I'm dying for, I got to get a drink. So I go into the kitchen to, to get a drink of water, and immediately, just the Lord just, 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 just caused me to just understand that, that he was just like, Jay, just like when you're chewing these seeds, the saltiness of this seed just causes you to crave, crave water. I just feel like the Lord is saying that when we're salt and when we're light, when we're this salt in people's life and people partake of us, when they're around us, when we're doing life together, that who we are, just who we are, just causes them to be thirsty for the living water of Jesus Christ. That we know He is the living water. He says, if you thirst and you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. It's just that simple. And so my prayer this morning is that you and I would simply be salt, would simply be light, and that we would just by the essence of who we are in Jesus that it causes others to thirst and to crave the living water of salvation of Jesus Christ. Whether they're close to us, whether they're marginalized or overlooked, or whether they look like they're a long ways from God. That we would be nice and we'd talk about Jesus.